Ho, 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 motherfuckers. What's up? Ladies and gentlemen, that is Darth Blasphemous giving us our intro. Yay. Yay. I'm excited. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, Little news first. We have a sponsor. We do. We do. And I would like to... uh, Is it Carlos Mencia? Uh, no, it is not Carlos Mencia. I would just hub? like to say a few words first, because okay. I was contacted by them, actually, uh, being a gun owner here in America myself, and, you know, going through all the backflips of fun to have all my stuff in order and all my paperwork taken care of, and, of course, it got the attention of Naruni Firearms. If you're familiar with Naruni Firearms, they make great, wonderful weapons like the NE-10 Plasma Ejector. I love that weapon. Hell of a kick, though. It's like trying to fire a donkey. Um, (laughs) They have a lot of small arms, of course. You know, like the NE-10 I just mentioned. They've got the NE-264. Basically, it's a thud gun rifle. Also, a plasma ejector. They do love their cartridge-based technology. Most of their firearms, though, are plasma-based. So do not fire these motherfuckers indoor. Uh, Trader Joe, um, I, and, and not to sound racist or anything, he is a new tinny, no mouth, so uh, don't let that freak you out when he's trying to talk to you, and this guy is a great salesman, so just be careful because he will get you to sign away everything on one of his payment plans, but they do have excellent financing, no money down, no credit, no problem. What you need, they've got. They've got fighter jets, they've got hydro skiffs, they got small spacecraft, they have uh, mini-missiles, they have Borg technology, so if you want to deck out some of your soldiers as uh, full conversion cyborgs, that is fucking great. They've got a plan for that. Plus, they've got outlets all across everywhere, ex- mostly North America, except for Cheetown and Atlantis. They do not touch those two zones, but you can still find them in Cibola down in South America. No problem. Uh, plus, uh, they do have outlets over in Europe, over by the NGR outlets, and over by the Gargoyle Empires. So, when you need any kind of arms for your military operations, think Naruni. You had me going for a second there. <laughs> you had me going for a second there. <laughs> oh, I feel dumb now. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little riff stuff there. But uh, in actual legitimate news, uh, Star Wars has just been released. It sucks. Yeah. Terribly, as predicted. Uh, uh, I, I, brain fart, dude. It hurts to think about it. Plus, uh, for our regular listeners, yes, we are two episodes down because we ran into severe technological difficulties during our last two recordings. They went completely bass backwards. I think it's because so I wasn't here. Just, there was too much in as far as artifacts in the background recording. There. I wouldn't release them in good faith. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so it's better to release quality anyway. Yeah, whatever this. Past the, okay, our our last two recordings were so bad that it actually like gave me ear bleeds. <laughs> uh, I mean, if they were slightly better, you would think that maybe Jar Jar Abrams could save them. Jar Jar Abrams. No. Uh, so our last recordings were completely Ryan Johnson's. They they were completely. My expectations were subverted by technological hijinks. <laughs> uh, so for our regular listeners, we are going to recap on those two episodes uh, in our next two episodes. So this week and next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, now and we've also had some time to think about it because I actually did think I want different directors on my movie. Okay, I did. Uh, so I should do introductions. God damn it. Well, we all know Darth Blasphemous. Hail to the dark side. Ho, ho, ho. The moniker. Hi, it's the moniker. Merry Christmas, everyone. Or and, Happy Hanukkah, or whatever you celebrate. Um, uh, Monkey Day? Happy Monkey Day, Game Goblin. Happy Life Day. Life Day. <laughs> Can we talk about the Mandalorian after the intro? Sure. <laughs> well, we're missing someone. We're missing... Kazakhan, the Lord Dragon. Merry Christmas, Lord Dragon. Merry holiday thing to you. Merry fucking ho ho. <laughs> Intro. Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listen on discretion advised. <laughs> Frosty the Hitman had a submachine gun. <laughs> watch him mow, watch him mow, watch him mow. 
Uh, there's nothing more satisfying than having a Klingon in a Christmas sweater take out a whole bunch of uh, Starfleet snowmen. It's so good. Red snow! <laughs> you know, because you brought up Life Day there, Darth Blasphemous. So I was over at my uh, friend Casey's house on Tuesday, and he showed me the Mandalorian. Uh-huh. Motherfucker, I was not expecting the canonization of the Christmas special. First episode, someone's like, well, I want it to be back in time for Life Day. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, I only got to see the first episode with Fatimus. Yeah. But oh my god, yes. Yeah, it's, where the fuck were these guys when they were trying to come up with the new trilogy? You know? I don't know, but I'm glad they're here now. Yeah, okay, you know what? I'm with you there. Better late than never, I say, because this, I got fucking faith. It's been restored a little bit with the Mandalorian. I'll, and I don't say and that lightly. And then they brought out Rise of Skywalker. Mary Sue takes all away from what's left of the fucking smoldering corpse. Okay. Spoiler alert. Actually, you know what? I don't fucking care. At the end Ray, of the movie, Ray, we find Ray. out with Ray standing on the, the hill on Tatooine watching the sunset and calling herself Ray Skywalker. That pissed me off. She took everything from Luke's legacy. Everything. Well, wh why, why, why does Disney hate Star Wars so much? Why did they pay so much <laughs> money just to piss on it? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I read the synopsis and all the leaks and stuff way beforehand. I'm yeah. not going to go see it in theaters. Can I take some member berries for a second here? Do you guys remember Big's Dark Lighter? You know, no, I remember Wedge. You know Big Starklighter? Luke's best friend who was there? Oh, right, yeah, the yeah. one that died on Hoth. Uh, you know, he died on the Death Star. Did he? Okay, I thought... Yeah. Who yeah. was it that was with him in the Snowspeeder? Oh, uh, I forget his name, but yeah, I know who you're that talking about. That was Dax. About, yeah. oh. That's right. I miss those guys. Yeah. yeah. Rest in peace, Porkins. Yes, Porkins. Porkins with his 70s haircut. You know, he was a great hero of the Rebellion in old canon. You know which one Dar uh, Biggs was? He was the one with the black 70s stash. Ah, right. That yeah, the porn stash, you know. It's like John Holmes in space. John Holmes? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> 12 inches of power. <laughs> so while we're talking about movies, uh, one of our last episode ideas we had before the recording went tits up, and since Star Wars is out and we could be all like... How do I make a movie that's actually worthwhile? So that's our topic. So we're going to uh, go over our dream team of movies here for the holidays because I'm sure everybody, by the time they listen to this recording or have dealt with Christmas, is Christmas the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But, so I think you were the one who had the rules, so why don't you lay them out for us? Yeah, so the rules were, okay, guys. So, so Hollywood comes up to you. They say, hey... You got some good ideas, you members of Blunt Force Gamers. We want you to make a Hollywood movie. Big budget, I'm, no, you know, no bars held back or whatever that phrase is. Um, sky's the limit. Sky's the limit, exactly. So, it has to be a movie based off of a board game, video game, or card game. Pretty much anything in geekdom. Uh, who do you choose to direct? Who's your leading actor? And who's doing the soundtrack? And why for all of those categories? Okay. So I can start unless one of you guys wants to. <laughs> I want to go last. It just hit me. It was like a, like a a card slash board game idea that would just be hilarious because it would piss so many people off. Okay. And just, just on a lark, imagine Cards Against Humanity, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, the script would be so easy to write. You just have one of the script well, writers drop like a black card and somebody drop a white card at random. Would that be like a Jumanji scenario, you know? Whatever you play, like that happens in real life around you. Or, uh, yeah, but it's Cards Against Humanity. Too. Or which one? There's a space-themed one, too. I don't remember what it's called. but it's, can, uh, can you imagine that, like, you know, Helen Keller gave a speech about what? Sadistic sex goblins. Bam! There's your movie idea. Yeah, you look in it like someone, like, plays that, you get, like, a little musical. Ooh. They look in a history book and they see, you know, <laughs> it happened. Helen Keller giving her speech. So it's basically Jumanji. Exactly, that's what I was saying. Let's but for grown-ups, and of course it's Cards Against Humanity, so it'd piss everybody an, off. An NC-17 version of Jumanji. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Starring Gary Busey. <laughs> yeah, it was like... Box's most famous hit was, you know, rectal, like, hemorrhaging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
You just have the craziest shit that's happened for 90 minutes and be like, make no sense. All right, so go ahead and start with your movie. I mean, I kind of side railed us there. No, that's okay. So, um, Hollywood producer comes up to me and wants to make a movie. So what I was thinking and what I was saying last time was, I want to make a movie off of the Hotline Miami game. Uh, probably the first one just to start out, just to see if it does well. So, um, for those who don't know, Hotline Miami uh, takes place in, well, obviously Miami in 1989 in kind of an alternate history where um, during the Cold War America and Russia actually did go to war and it's set um, kind of when uh, things are the war is still ongoing but they're trying to reach an agreement so enter the main character who one day he just gets a call on his answering machine saying hey something those uh, cookies we delivered to you have made it to your door uh, thank you for ordering he, character goes out he's like what I didn't order any fucking cookies there's a package with a rubber chicken mask the instructions saying, go to this address, retrieve a briefcase, we don't care how you get it, and take it to this drop-off location. We'll be watching you, you can't back out of this. So he's blackmailed into becoming a hitman. So that's the premise of the movie. And then as it goes on, you know, we find out, well, he tries to find out who's calling the shots and the consequences of everything he does. So, what I was thinking for a director, because I think Tarantino, he would be kind of the obvious pick for a movie like this, but because... Um, you know, it has to deal with a lot with, like, uh, the Russian mob and hitmen and just kind of, you know, an overall kind of crime thriller. I was thinking Christopher Nolan, you know, the guy who did, uh, like, the Dark Knight movies. Just because after watching, um, excuse me, uh, well, the Dark Knight, um, just, like, any of those mob scenes, like, they just feel real, uh, real visceral and, you know, just really well done, um. Uh, feel like that's a little vapid of a statement. It, it felt convincing enough that maybe that's how the, uh, uh, maybe, like, a falling out between mafias would work. And you do kind of have that rogue element, so I think, and he has a very kind of dark visual style to go along with that. So I think that's who I would get to direct. Um, for lead actor, I know it's a little easy mode, but Aaron Paul, just because he kind of looks like the main character in the game, Jacket, just kind of a, you know, normal built uh, short haired blonde dude in his 30s and uh, for the soundtrack I would have to stick with all the uh, original uh, uh, artists who are in the game because you cannot replace that soundtrack and have it still be Hotline Miami exactly exactly so uh, yeah that was my choice and I hope it would do well and I would just title it Hotline Miami boom Alright. Well, that's pretty cool. I know Goblin had an idea, but I think... <clears throat> yes, I, I... Yeah, I had an idea. <laughs> it was a great idea. It was riffs. I know all about ideas, and this was the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just had another bad idea, and I can't... I actually can't voice it on the air. <laughs> it's wow. so bad. Oh, wow, that says something. Uh, yeah, because it's one of those topics where kind of, like, it would begin the triggering. <laughs> More triggering 2019. Oh, it would... You know what? After, after we get done recording this episode and everything, I will be more than happy to tell you what video game I'm thinking of and to make that into a movie. It's but a manhunt? No. Damn it. <clears throat> worse. Far worse. But yes, I did have an idea. And we're going to go back to... PG-13 uh, adult-oriented stuff here. And yes, I did have an idea for a movie called Rifts. Mm -hmm. Far From Home. And I believe... Uh, God damn it, his name was just in my brain a moment ago. What did he make? What did he work on? Bullet Tooth Tony. Bullet um, shit. I got you. Lord and Savior Google. Lord and Savior Google, whatever. <laughs> Fucking millennials. Hey, man. <laughs> Tools are there. Use them. Uh, Vinny Jones. That was the guy. Vinny Jones. Vinny Jones does a cameo as Emperor Prosec because the storyline of the movie is that the characters, the main character, is actually being manipulated to go over into enemy lines by the Emperor, you know, kind of like as a personal favor. You know, the, 
So our protagonist, and the protagonist is uh, the dude from the transporter. God damn it, his name was also just in my brain. Jason Statham. Jason Statham. Yes. Yes. The 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 bald dude. The the bald dude with like the manly manly chest. Everyone's favorite tough ass Cockney. Yes, right. I now I understand you know of course it'd be an American movie but you know it's refs there's like transdimensional shit going on whatever so a Cockney winding up in Chicago post-apocalypse is not really that far fetched. Not at all, no. It could happen. Look, Canada turns into a major superpower. A major military superpower. What nightmare world is this? Centered around Quebec. Alright? Nuke it from orbit. If that can happen in the world of rifts, pretty much anything can. So, yeah, Justin Trudeau, Uh, leader of Quebec, leader of the... Because I'm fairly certain... uh, Greatest military nation. There's never been a a, a Cockney in Chicago before. Probably. I I, I don't think it's ever happened. Regard well, he he can pull an American accent pretty well. So <laughs> the point is, Jason Statham's character, our our main character, he's just you know like a commando for the Coalition States, which is the last bastion of humanity. Uh-huh. He gets manipulated because the Emperor wants to send somebody across uh, enemy lines because well the Emperor does whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, and he's probably got some far-reaching plan, and this would set up for a sequel in case the first movie does good. And then his granddaughter comes in and has to kill him. No, actually, the uh, as I mentioned last time, the opposing female lead uh, is actually from the other side of the enemy lines, from the outside reaches where magic is real, and of course you have the technology versus magic, mm-hmm. you have tradition versus visionary, you know you have honor and duty versus freedom, mm-hmm. and. You have, you have basically one of these plays, you know, where both of the lead characters who are very titular to this kind of deal have something about their qualities that would give the viewer the impression that they could actually transplant themselves into this character just a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, the, the audience would get somewhat invested in the characters because they'd be like, oh, well, you know, I'm a military guy. I totally understand where uh, Jason Statham's character is coming from. Yeah. Or, you know, I believe in peace and harmony with, you know, the natural world. So I'm going to go follow with the female lead's character. And like I mentioned, I would have her played by Ellen Page. Okay. Uh, because it's Ellen Page. She actually does have the acting chops to pull off roles in many different uh, variables. She's done funny, humorous characters. She's done tragic characters. Mm-hmm. She's done complete psychopaths. So she does have the acting range to play a variety of characters. So Man, I like Ellen Page. Has she done anything recently? Do you guys know? Uh, last time I saw her was in Fuck All X Men. Oh, she was. Were they seen Wolverine back in the past? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the last time I saw her. Ah, uh, yes, X Men: Back to the Future. Yeah. So the, the whole <laughs> point of the movie, and of course, uh, directed by the same uh, duo who did John Wick. Okay. Yeah. This would make the action scenes pop. And they can do the emotional scenes as well. And Rift is actually one of those uh, kind of game settings where the action scenes, that's what Rift's big selling point is, is the action. Mm-hmm. But behind the scenes, there are a lot of uh, smaller deals to work on where you can actually get into the character drama, get into their headspace. Yeah. And the guys from John Wick did a great job in that movie of showing not only the action scenes, but getting into people's headspace. So I think they would be a great choice for the directors. So I'd rope them on to go, hey, direct... And for the soundtrack, like I mentioned last time we recorded this, and I, wow, this guy is just so damn awesome, and it would make the soundtrack so memorable that when you're outside the movie, you know, you'd hear one of these tracks, and you'd be like, oh yes, I remember that scene, and it'd be Basil fucking Polidaris, the same guy who did the soundtrack for Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Because, you know, with his uh, ingenuity, he can make an entire soundtrack for a movie, and the soundtrack is like its own book. Yeah. Like, you can watch Conan the Barbarian, then listen to the soundtrack, and like when the soundtrack starts playing, you can remember the scenes in the movie almost beat for beat. <laughs> so, you know, it also get more into your headspace. Yeah. So, that's the movie I would make. It would be starring Jason Statham and Ellen Page with a special guest spot by... Vinny Jones, and music by Basil Polidaris, and directed by the... Uh, David Leach. David Leach? Yeah, that's his name. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, well, David's not that hard of a name to pronounce. God damn. Um, Leach. Does that look like a leech to you guys? Sure. I'll call him 
Leche. 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 So we're using Leche. Yeah, David Leche. <laughs> yeah, he would be my director, and I think that's, that fills all the uh, variables for what you're yep. saying. If we yeah, I like that. that. That's my movie. Uh, Kaz, you, you're sitting over there like... Alright. You look like you got some good idea, Lord Dragon. <laughs> yeah, you do. Play it on us. So, I've got an idea for following in the footsteps of the very first Darksiders game. And for those of you who are not familiar... The Darksiders game follows the Horsemen of the Apocalypse. They are your playable characters. Okay. In the first game, you play War. Uh, who is good God! <laughs> what is it good for? Absolutely everything! Yes, yes, jokes. Um, who is summoned to Earth during the event of the Apocalypse because the seals were broken. As he arrives, demons and, wi- demons and angels are already just duking it out in the city of New York, where he and they enter via meteor. Because fuck your grand entrance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, for a small stint of the movie, it's during the apocalypse. But the thing is, War is the only horseman who rode. And a big part of the the whole story arc is, why did this happen? Who fucked it up? Because when I was summoned, all of my siblings should have been summoned. The four horsemen should have rode together. Okay. Why did they not? Gotcha. After the events of the apocalypse, war stands accused by the charred council, who is like the overarching balancing factor of the, the universe. And divine HR. Pretty much. <laughs> He's brought up basically on charges of falsely instigating the apocalypse. And he, you know, goes back to Earth to find out who actually did it because, yeah. you know, if death is to be my sentence, then at least let me investigate. If I succeed, you have your culprit. If I fail, yeah. the demons will have carried out your sentence. Can I just say, I really like the idea of, you know, uh, deific HR bringing up that he wrongly instigated the apocalypse. Like, they pull him into, like, an office, you know? They have, like, their little papers in front of him. All right, here, War. Um, it shows that you instigated the apocalypse without, uh, without running a memo. Yeah, without following proper procedure and without sending us a memo. And now, um, as a result of this action, mankind is fucked. Yeah, mankind is fucked, and we're gonna have to put disciplinary action, and you're gonna have to take a pay doc for the next month. Right? <laughs> oh, we're, we're gonna need you to fi- sign, fill out this form and trip up clear that you won't get any, like, handsy with the secretary again. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's an amusing image, especially when you consider that War as a character in game is, like, nine feet tall. <laughs> humongous monster of a person. Poor guy would never fit in a business suit. Right? Which then is there's why, custom tailoring. Exactly. Which is why I believe that Hafthor Bjornsson, best known for his acting as the Mountain in uh, Game of Thrones, he's he is not a small dude either. Well, when you're playing a character called the Mountain, I would hope not. <laughs> well, would he hope... was like the fourth guy to play the Mountain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they went through a lot of mountains. <laughs> I mean, I would have... There's a range. That's I mean, right. I love Danny DeVito, but I wouldn't cast Danny DeVito as... Uh, the War Horseman of the Apocalypse. Mm-mm. I mean, maybe, but... No, so... That's if we're making it into a comedy. Yeah. So, to pair with this, I would bring... Yeah. J.J. Abrams and the visual effects team from both the Darksiders game and Avatar. Like, James Cameron's Avatar. Okay. You pair those two together, work, work them together, because the Darksiders series has its own visceral rather haunting look. Everything is mixtures of bulbous, like the bat, uh, the various bats are basically like balls with wings, plus, you know, legs. Huh. They're not your daddy's crystal bats. (laughs) No. And so, you know, everything about it is very visually, you know, visually the story is told, mostly. Uh, so throughout War's investigation of the apocalypse, who's responsible, who's actually at fault? Yeah, you know, to clear his own name, yes, sure, vengeance is his motivation, but 
It's war. Oh, holy shit, that gave me a, a like, I, I'm sorry, a secondary interjection side thought, though, like, because you're speaking about special effects, it just hit me that, um, the guys who did Farscape, the Jim oh, Henson yeah. crew, yeah. they would be my special effects team. Okay. I, I would go with a practical. lot of practical effects and a lot of puppetry. I think that would just make it pop. Yeah, yeah, it certainly would. Yeah, especially with riffs. Oh, God, yeah, that would be mm-hmm. perfect. Um, That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, so, you know, with that and, say, I would say, the like, you'd have to take certain phrases out of the original game. Bless you. Gesundheit. Yeah. The original game soundtrack, but I think uh, Two Steps from Hell. Or, oh, of course. Um, two Steps from Hell, Audio Machine, and Bruneville. Between those three, working as one conceited unit. Mm-hmm. I don't know, composed by Hans Zimmer, like that could pull out the sort of grandeur and desolation that the world has faced. Yeah. What about Howard Shore, the guy who did Lord of the Rings? Do you think you would uh, consider him for your movie? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or just to make your investors happy, because even though you're working with an unlimited budget, mm-hmm. you bring a ball uh, for your soundtrack. You bring Kevin McLeod, so you don't have to pay a dime. <laughs> Kevin, uh, Kevin McLeod. I want to see that now, a movie where all the soundtrack is done by uh, Kevin McLeod. You know, actually he does a very wide range of his computer stuff, so I think he can pull off a lot of things that people wouldn't expect. Lord knows he saved my uh, final project back in the summer when I was taking a movie class, so... See, there you go. <laughs> I think the... I think trying to keep as many of the the characters as close to the video game as possible would be good. I yeah. know uh, Mark Hamill is he actually plays the voice of Fulgrim, a demon merchant who's half your informant and half your only supplier throughout the game. Wait, did you say his name was Volgrim? Yes. Haha, <laughs> that reminds me of someone. Yeah. But he's... It's... I think it's... I think it would turn out really well, especially if you pull to that sort of avatar, visceral, real world. Yeah. Like... People walked out of James Cameron's Avatar like in tears because they could not continue to be in the world of Pandora. Yeah, I remember reading about that, like post Avatar depression. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, it's cool that you know there are effects artists who can provoke that kind of emotions out of people, but come on. I, I'm sorry. I come on. Pandora itself, maybe not a great place, but it's very I'm pretty, not you know. one of those people. I'm sorry. Like when I watched Avatar, all I could hear was the sound of Gargamel cackling from his tower, <laughs> waiting yeah. to eat the Smurfs. Yeah, you mean <laughs> dances with Smurfs? Dances with Smurfs. That might have been Red Letter Media. Like, who I was just that. waiting, you know, for them to like start introducing the different uh, Nav, whatever the fuck. Navi. Navi. Hey. I, I was, Listen, I, I was waiting for like uh, fucking you know handy Navi. Yeah. Papa Navi. Papa Navi. Lazy Navi. <laughs> hey. Grumpy Navi. Listen. Hey. Listen. Look out. And then there's uh, the fairy. Yeah. The best Navi. All right. I think I've got mine set up. If you're done, Kaz. D and D the yeah. movie. No, he's he's gonna do like a. I I could already predict it. All yeah. right. I'm gonna make it because Blasphemous was not here for the last recording. Uh-huh. Uh, when we did this, so we're having some major cases of deja vu, uh, three out of four here. Um, but I'm going to call yours, okay? I'm going to make a prediction. All right. Before you begin, you are going to go with a Dungeons and Dragons kind of game, and it's going to be done in the style of Once Upon a Time in Mexico. <laughs> You're close, but too far off to count. Ah, uh, damn it. All right. They call him L. <laughs> so you guys know one of my favorite board games I busted out every time there's a group of people just hanging out and have the time. Monopoly. Betrayal at House on the Hill. Betrayal at House. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can see where that could go. That's not so, Monopoly. <clears throat> true. But, uh, so this game, if, including the original expansion, gives you a hundred different options. Now, my favorite one to play through actually plays off of something you've done, where it's a dollhouse variant. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we have a dollhouse player here currently having flashbacks. And yeah, that was a, that was a convincing dollhouse. Just wait till I run one. Ooh, Poor Tinthos. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he's turned into our group's Kenny. If we were South Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, 
That's the rogue, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's your Kenny. So, Betrayal at House on the Hill uh, is a very uh, game with many variations, and it's all built by the people. It, it, think of Cabin in the Woods, right? Yeah. You could choose your own way to die. So it's, it's going to be a, a variant on that, but I think the game came out first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to go with the Dollhouse storyline, right? Now, to direct this, I'm going to have to go for the guy who did Alita, uh, Battle Angel, uh, Robert choice. Rodriguez... Because he actually stays really true to source material. And even though it is just a board game, but there's a lot of stuff done with it, I think he would make it really good. You can um, look at House on Haunted Hill for inspiration also. True. Well, that's another one where it's going to be a variant on that. And I want to do an old school score on this movie, not a whole bunch of songs. And give it that classic horror thing where it's um, you don't see the dolls or the bad guys until the final act. You just hear... Yeah, yeah. You hear the chittering in the walls and, you know, little feet running across the floor and they oddly sound, you know, ceramic. That'd be really good for Robert Rodriguez because he's, like, he loves special effects and he's really good at just making this wacky shit, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So I think he'd really be in his element if you could, if you could make it more of a campy horror movie without losing, you know. Oh, yeah, that's a plan. The serious tone. I think, I really like that. That's cool. Um, now, mind you, there will have to be some narration. So for the narration port, gonna have to pull in James Earl Jones. Of course. Okay. You know. Does I, he even have the lung capacity anymore? I don't know. You know what? If you could bring him back from the dead, would you have Christopher Lee do it? No, I would pull him in as an actor at that point. Okay, fair enough. I think as an homage, and I can't remember the actor's name, which really pisses me off on this part. Shirley Temple. No, it wasn't Shirley Temple. Actually, um, for those who watched Star Trek, okay, uh, the the one with Captain Archer, Enterprise. Yeah, Star Trek. Uh, yeah, Enterprise. Uh, the Blue Andorian dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the main lead guy. I can't remember the character's name or whatever because Enterprise really didn't grab me by the the Cockneys. Wesley Crusher. No, it's not. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the the guy who played the main Andorian dude, actually, he played uh, the lead character in a Cthulhu movie, the reanimator. Hmm. So I think as a little tip hat, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to put this out here on my end, he would make a great special guest star because mm-hmm. he's been in this kind of movie genre before where See, it's just creepy put, shit. Put him in as like the house caretaker. Yeah, like the house because caretaker. The, the preface for anyone who doesn't know, Betrayal on the House on the Hill, for some reason, this group of, you know, uh, two to six people, we'd go with the full six, could show up to the house. They all have to go there for a reason, right? You know, party, someone's like, hey, let's check this out. And there's a diverse group of people. I would pull in Jason Momoa to play Ox, the big strong guy. Um, I would have to pull on, pull in, um, what's his name, the, the guy who did the, the German from uh, Inglorious Bastards, he also was in Django Unchained as the bounty hunter, pull him in as the professor, um, as far as the other pieces, of course we'd have to have uh, the, the gypsy lady, she'd have to be in there, I'd pull in... Um, my favorite actress, the one who did Avatar and the Fast and the Furious movies. Oh, yeah, Michelle Rodriguez. Yep. She is amazing. I would pull her in as the gypsy. Oh, I yeah, she funny. is totally amazeballs. Yeah, her acting is pretty good. And um, the guy who played the Vorta in DS9 is actually the guy who played in the Reanimator. I got my actors mixed up. My bad. Oh. Which Vorta? Uh, Malar. Weyun? Weyun, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wayun was the guy in the reanimator. The other guy actually was in a vampire movie that almost nobody knows about, and I got the VHS in the other room. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there's just a few of the characters I would love, the people I would like to have play the characters, because they're just wandering through the house. You know, you could totally just sit down with the writing staff, play through that specific scenario, you know, make it so that those things specifically pop up, and then that's how you write it. You guys literally just play that storyline a couple times, find the best way it seems to make sense, and then write it out from there. Because think about it, you're like, all right, uh, you could go with the old House on the Haunted Hill thing. Oh, you get invited to a party for some mysterious reason. (sighs) Or you could go with this, oh, well, you all won a a competition that was like, oh, win this house and all this land, but you have to stay there one night. And here's your twist. Hmm. Here's your twist, right? Script, Sean Bean. Mm -hmm. And he's the one who lives. 
Yeah. That's how you do it. Yeah. yeah. Would you have a special guest appearance by uh, Tim Curry? Because he was in Clue. Uh, to pull him in at this point? Oh, uh, okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Oh. No, maybe 1980s or 90s Tim Curry, totally. Yeah. yeah. Can we have a moment of silence for, for Tim Curry, even though he's still alive? Moment of silence for Tim Curry. All right, so. Tim Curry, please sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> Not after that. <laughs> All right. It's a shame. He's got really good I, I can just imagine himself. it. Somebody was like, hey, Tim, these guys on some small American podcast mentioned you. Well, what's they doing? Well, let's see. Listen to that 30 seconds. Be like, fuck these guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and like, to be fair, he's got a really impressive band of work that he's done under his belt. That's between. Impressive? Film, book reading, or like and Broadway narration, Broadway, TV uh, shows, TV shows. Like the dude's been in hundreds and hundreds. of It things. still blows my Smashing. mind that he played Darkness. <laughs> like they're, they're like they're like oh that's Tim Curry and I'm like nah. And they're like no that's Tim and like even when I watch Legend even now I'm looking like trying to perceive through the makeup I'm like where's Tim Curry in this? <laughs> like they're. they're I'm like, that brain hurt. <laughs> Blows my fucking... Darkness. He plays, he plays a fantastic villain. He does. He, oh, yeah. he really does. He, oh, no, I see. I love him in, what was it, uh, The Color of Magic? The Discworld movie? Or TV miniseries? It was great. <laughs> he plays the evil wizard. You know, I personally, I think my per- my favorite Tim Curry performance was in Ferdinand oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Was he the bat... No, that was Robin Williams. No, no, he, he was a smog monster, wasn't he? He was. That's yeah. right, that's yeah. right. Also blew my mind. Uh, there's <laughs> also uh, when he did the Cardinal in Three Musketeers. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. He was a good smarmy bastard in that one. I think we're getting off topic. We are he's getting off topic. Blasphemous, yeah. and he's talking about Betrayal at House on the Hill. Uh, so, yeah, and then he this He was, one, then we yeah. interrupted him. And, you know, it does take a very enough bunch of different horror things, and it is going to be, like, very on um, Cabin in the Woods, but... The difference here is this one is going to have a set story where it's not like, oh, you get to choose your own way to die. No, there's a set thing that we're taking this small, like, two-page story, you know, short written thing, and putting in the premise premise of this game, and then putting it in, you know, quote-unquote, real world. Or we could do the one where you got to open up the gates to hell. That one was great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, another good... Uh, God damn it, I wish I could remember his name, because he's a phenomenal actor. And he was in House in Haunted Hill. The remake? Uh, the remake, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, the, the guy who played Captain Barbosa. Uh-huh. And... Oh, uh, Jeffrey Rush. Yes, Jeffrey Rush. I love Jeffrey now, the, Rush. Here's the thing. When he did the House on Haunted Hill remake, uh-huh. uh, the makeup crew did a phenomenal effect on him, because he looked a lot like Vincent Price... From the original House on Haunted Hill. God, I love the original. So to pull <laughs> Jeffrey Rush into, you know... Betrayal. Betrayal. It would just be awesome sauce because it would be like three houses that are somehow connected just by the actors, but yeah. not really connected. And then here's the other big thing. Um, you have all of this go on. Dang it, I was going somewhere with this. Um, you're talking about all of them being connected. Yes. Interconnectivity is a great thing. It is. Oh, the movie's title. You yes. just call it Betrayal. Okay. I mean, come on. Doesn't that, like, it's called Betrayal. I wonder what that's about. I mean, that would get me interested to look in and be like, all right, it's just called Betrayal. Let's see what it's about. Wow. Just, like, I just suddenly remembered Star Wars was just released, and they called it Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, but it sounds more like... Star Wars, Betrayal of Skywalker. Star Wars, Betrayal of the Fans. Yeah. Betrayal (laughs) to the Fans. Yeah. Still, we have some good movie ideas. So, Hollywood, please hire us. Yeah. (laughs) We have good ideas, we promise. And I promise I'll mark your movie safe from Weinstein. (laughs) And you know what? We will purposely write it to pass that stupid Bechdel test. Oh, Mine already passes the Bechdel test. Mm-hmm. Legit, because we have two main characters, a male and a female, who don't like each other, and there is no love scene. Mm-hmm. They're from two radically opposing different worlds on every level, but they still have to work together. Well, come on, you know the Writers Guild's gonna be like, oh well, you know, standard story the writing writers procedure. Guild. And the Bechdel- who are you referring to? Their blasphemous. Yeah. 
And the Bechdel test is just bullshit in its own right anyway. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It... But yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about other good movie ideas just in general that we'd want to throw out there. Like, I'd love to, like, I know it falls in the same category, but your dollhouse story arc that you wrote there, Goblin... I mean, I've got people, uh, my recent players, Moniker can attest, yeah. they loved my iteration of it, but I mean, you have traumatized our buddy uh, Thoric <laughs> with that game. Yes, I did. I mean, there are people who talk about it to this day, and you, you ran that game, what, how long ago? Uh, last time I ran the Dollhouse legitimately, I think, was about five years ago, hmm. maybe four. And yes... Um, the first time I ran the dollhouse, the party went through. They, they actually made it to the final chamber of the dollhouse. They opened up the treasure chest. And there's the treasures. Now, the dollhouse is a themed dungeon, right? Yeah. Dollhouse. That kind of gives it away. The big bad not-so-evil guy who actually ran the dollhouse before his death was a doll maker. So that was the theme of all of the magic items in the dollhouse. Like, your bag of holding was actually a doll with, like, a, a zip on the back. Uh-huh. You open the zipper and you put stuff in the back of the doll, and it would walk around and follow you, carrying all your stuff. So it's a bag of uh, holding that just walks around behind you. That's carries great. its own weight, right? Yeah. Well, that was the treasure trove was all dolls. Huh. You know, there was, like, a doll of fireball instead of a wand of fireball. You Interesting. Know? You know, yeah. there, was, there was a doll that, you know, was a, a, basically a folding boat. Huh. Right? Yeah. So instead of being just a bunch of wood slats that you unfold to make a boat, it's actually a doll that unfolds itself and turns into a boat with the doll's head at the front on the bow. <laughs> I like that visual. Yeah. Well, this, this was the main treasure chest. It was all dolls. Yeah. But of course, it's the dollhouse. So no, everything they've been fighting up until this point has been some sort of construct, diminutive creature that has just wreaked havoc on the group. <laughs> so my first party actually gets to the... Big treasure hall at the end of the dungeon, very video gamey. And what did they do? The main, the, the head character reaches over and he asks the rogue for a pint of uh, lamp oil, pours the lamp oil inside of the chest, and lights it on fire. <laughs> now, for those who play D&D, <coughs> this was approximately 70,000 gold pieces worth of magic items. It just went up in flames. Huh. <laughs> 70,000 gold pieces. Nice. Whoosh. My second group, and that's the one that Thoric was in, they made it halfway through the dollhouse. They get up to the top of the uh, double stairs. They're about to ascend to the second story of the building. They get up there. They, they see the double doors. They hear whir, click, whir, click. Yeah. And they're like, well, what the fuck is that? The rogue looks through the uh, door's uh, keyhole and he sees an alchemical golem, and the group is, the dollhouse is more or less for a group of people who are around level 3, level 4. And the group actually made it to level 5 by this point, because mm-hmm. they pulled some shit out of their ass. They get up to the door, they look through, they're all level 5s, but on the other side is an alchemical golem, which is meant for a group of level 7s. Of course, they don't know what was going on behind the scenes with this alchemical golem. Yeah. GM shenanigans. However, the rogue looks through there, and he has a special ability that, you know, I can hand it to the uh, Dungeon Master's book and show him the picture of the creature and the base stats. He gets 30 seconds to look at it, make his decision, make his recommendation, whatever. So I hand over the book, he looks at it, he sees Alchemical Golem, sees the challenge rating on the Alchemical Golem, the hit points, and the legion of special abilities this fucking thing has. Hands the book back, he looks at the rest of the group, and just says, fuck it. Turns around and walks down the stairs and goes right out the front door. (laughs) He's like, I am done with this place. (laughs) And it also does, uh, like, the dollhouse involves some GM shenanigans. Yeah. And one of those GM shenanigans is the more difficult, I've noticed anyway, in my opinion, the more difficult you make something, the more the player characters will try to overcome that difficulty. Alright? You can put two fences in front of a player character. You can put a small waist-high picket fence, and then you can put like a 10-foot fucking concrete wall in front of them. A player character, for some strange reason, will always try to clamber over that 10-foot wall no matter what. Yeah. It's like they got something to prove. <laughs> so, knowing this, 
one of the first rooms they come into is a series of dolls that are in glass cases that are magically sealed and physically sealed. Mm-hmm. So lock and key and magical lock. Yes, magical there's lock alarm, and key. Magical traps, shit. Yes, there's just so much shit to seal these dolls away in their glass cases. Yeah. Point being, on the GM side, the reason the character, the uh, main antagonist, I, I antagonist isn't the right word because he really wasn't a bad guy. The main foil, if mm-hmm. you will. The reason he put these dolls in these cases yeah. is they were too dangerous to be left unattended out in public. Okay. They were, they were they were super dangerous. So he put them in this room under lock and key to keep people safe from the contents of what's in the cases. Yeah. The player and, character... And he put placards there to saying, don't try and open this. He did. He put... There was warning labels and shit. But this was like his reminder. Whenever he walked through this room, he realized that, you know, magic should have limits. This was his personal reminder. Yeah. You know... There's only so far I should go when I weaponize something. You know, too far is too much, and here's the display to remind me. You know? So, the player characters, of course, come into this room. They see magical locks, and they see warning signs, and they see physical locks. They spend the next two fucking days mm-hmm. in game time. Resting, recuperating spells, lock picking. Resting more, recuperating spells, lockpicking. Two fucking days to open up all of these cases with the most dangerous dolls in the entire fucking dungeon. And then claim them as their treasure. Huh. This did not go well for when the adventure was over, I tell you what. (laughs) Those dolls ain't right. Them dolls weren't right. So... What was one of the more fucked up ones you did? Uh, the more fucked up one, and I was so giddy uh, behind my GM screen. I, I'm just, I'm sitting behind my screen, like physically trying to hold back laughter because the paladin of all people, he figured that he would claim the doll that does create food and water, tearing Tessa. <laughs> to activate this doll, you have to tear off its arms and legs. Any one of them. It's Any like, one of them. An arm is a meal. A leg is a meal. Yeah, an arm is a meal. One person? For one person. It's like create food and water. The uh, spell creates enough food to sustain four people for a day. So you got two legs and two arms. That's a meal for four people for a day. Thing is, is when you tear the arm off or the leg, the doll will animate and start screaming in terror, begging for mercy. And then the, the inside of the limbs and stuff is filled with a warm, moist paste that's kind of reddish in color. <laughs> so as you tear the arms and legs off, the doll starts screaming in terror and pain and begging for mercy as you basically bodily rip the arms and legs off. And the paladin is the one who gets this. You know what that makes me think of? Uh, do you guys remember they used to sell them at like fucking like Hot Topic all those years ago? The living Dead dolls? Mm-hmm. You guys remember those? Yes, I have one. Yeah. I want to see that after this. Those... It's in a box in my closet <laughs> okay, somewhere. Never mind. <laughs> like, those things used to freak me out, but looking back, they're like, those are actually kind of badass. They are. Yeah. That's what I, I, I got one for Christmas, uh, ironically, about, shit, six years ago? Okay. It was, yeah, about six years. About two apartments ago. Gotcha. Nice. Hey, can I make a quick um, uh, revision to my movie sure. theme here? Absolutely. All right, it's going to involve a little necromancy, but... For what the movie is, I think he's even more well-suited than Christopher Nolan, just because Hotline Miami has so much surrealism to it, not in terms of themes, but also just visually with the colors and... uh bit gore. Well, a bit gore, but also the use of shading and just, you know, very much, it's going to sound like a pretentious art student here, but very much kind of the mise-en-scene the, you know, of the whole movie. I want to bring back Stanley Kubrick to direct it. Because he's very good at, you know... Uh... <laughs> well, his methods may have been questionable. And then three weeks out... after movie's release, there's this major controversy about actors getting arrested for committing real crimes yeah. under the direction of Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll spark a plague of a bunch of people, you know, wearing animal masks and trying to hunt down local gangs. But, um, no, I think because uh, just of what he would do with, like, especially A Clockwork Orange and The Shining, you know, even bringing a little bit of that of horror might actually do Hotline Miami some justice because, uh... But again, I hate to use, keep repeating words, but the more surreal aspects of the game, you I, I think you could really... You could bring in uh, Coppola. You know, I was actually thinking about Coppola myself. I was actually thinking about him, too. 
Yeah. Yeah, so that's who I would uh, have on for my director. Instead of uh, Christopher Nolan, so... That's what I would do for Holland Miami. Alright. Now, if you guys remember... So they give you this budget, but instead of making a good movie, you know... You just want to give them a middle finger, because you're like... Oh, <laughs> you're Hollywood bigwigs and you want to give me money? Okay. <laughs> so, what's the worst movie? Like, just all the wrong decisions that you would make. Ass the movie. 90 minutes of someone's ass. <laughs> be cheap, too. <laughs> That's a very cheeky answer. Yeah, it's also a ripoff from Idiocracy. Sell it as an art film and have it play at Sundance. So I film it in black and white? Yes. Yep, that's RT. Alright, what do you guys do? What, for a middle finger movie? Like... Yeah, for a middle finger movie. I mean, he's already said Cards Against Humanity. There's nothing else about that. No, 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 no. Actually, if I wanted to do a middle finger movie, and I wanted to go down in history as just... Dick! Uh-huh. <laughs> My producer would be the fuck nut that did the remake of Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be uh, my producer. Okay. <laughs> I would grab Ruin Johnson as my director. Yeah. I would have my lead actor be Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> and my main female protagonist be uh, Fran Drescher. Fran Drescher. Yeah, so Fran Drescher and Gilbert Godfrey are my two lead actors in this. So I got my male and my so female lead So it's a lead silent actor. movie. No, it is a totally vocal movie. The soundtrack would be done by, say... Hate breed. Hate breed. Yeah, some somebody like Hate Breed or Pantera. And then I would make it a coming to age film about <laughs> um the sin of masturbation. So I would be pandering and catering to the evangelical crowd the entire time by the script. I don't know, you'd have to really sell them on that their devil's music. Hey, Hate Breed has a great range. Better. And if it was a fuck you movie, uh-huh. Hatebreed would not come out full tilt until like the last five minutes of the movie. <laughs> like, Here, you're masturbating. You're going to hell. <laughs> That's what my head sounded. Write this shit down. <laughs> That's what the voices in my head sounded like when I was still in high school. Now, if I if I wanted to make a fuck you movie, and then oh, of course that would be the, the the moral message. Yeah. The moral message would be pandering to evangelicals that. Uh, touching yourself is bad, but for the actual movie itself, because they have such a phenomenally bad um, fucking go-to right now, like like every remake right now is just getting panned to shit because the people running the shit is just making every mistake. Yeah. So if I want to make every mistake even worse, uh-huh. uh, my remake is a big fuck you. And to continuously piss off even more people? Have it released by Sony? No. This would be a remake of The Color Purple. Uh, oh, god damn it. That is just fucked. <laughs> okay? See, now I have hit every base to piss off somebody. Uh. Someone somewhere cannot look at this movie and be like, I'm okay with it. Uh. Everybody would be pissed. Especially since I just cast Fran Drescher and Gilbert Gottfried as the leads for the color purple. I feel gross With now. death metal music playing in, what was this, like 1920s America? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Everybody would be pissed. Goblin, I feel dirty now. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, Cass, what do you got? There you go, Hollywood. There's your free idea. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. If you make the movie, please do not credit me. Please do. (laughs) Man, we got some vitriol going. Uh, you know what? Yeah. I think a movie about... Solitaire. Solitaire the movie. (laughs) Solitaire the movie. Make a competitive solitaire. Yes! Well, about a kid who doesn't fit in, but there's a solitaire finals, and he really wants to get in, and it's really inspirational. And you have a uh, fucking because it's on the TV, the uh, fuckheads who made Thirteen Reasons Why. <laughs> of course, it, if it's a movie about solitaire, like what's the main soundtrack? Nothing but emo. <laughs> well, hey, My Chemical Romance just got back together, so why not? 
We can throw some masking Alexandria, some, I don't know, AFI if they're still around. Oh, and don't forget a little bit of Green Day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, because Nothing was... like 50-year-olds making edgy teen music. Yeah. They were not even edgy when they were making music as young people. Hey, can I say something about 13 Reasons Why? Because it was on there. Hmm. So I read that book when I was in high school, and I actually really enjoyed it. And then the series came out, and I just watched it just because I did read the book. Fucking hell, the second season, like, it was... They were holding no bars back with that, with just in terms of what they were showing. You know, it's so weird that they wanted to, you know, start a conversation about suicide... Well, if you want to reach out to suicidal people, maybe making an entire series and twisting it so that the person who did commit suicide isn't completely glorified, and then actually show her cutting her wrists. But in the second season, there's this kid who gets just the fuck bullied out of him, and there's a scene where he gets cornered in uh, the fucking bathroom by the school jocks, and I am just so over the series, I'm like, what are they gonna do? You know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what's the most fucked up... Th I actually paused it. What's the most fucked up thing that they would actually show on camera that I could conceive of? I'm like, well, they probably just, you know, the, all these, like, straight jock dudes. Maybe they would just rape him, you know? <laughs> and it's like, what they did was they actually fucking sodomized him with a mop handle. Uh, that happened in New Mexico a couple of years back, like 2008. Yeah. That actually happened. On a football field. Look, I'm not trying to take... Uh, that happened in the showers, uh, I want to say, Sila. Yeah, but like but uh, when I was uh, over on the reservation, yeah. that that was like the most uncomfortable fucking year in high school. Because uh, I, I want to say it was Sila, maybe it was Toppenish. Yeah. Uh, but it was like a town that was like two towns over from ours. Yeah. And like a bunch of guys on the wrestling team decided to pin one guy down and take a broom handle to him. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened in the series. Now, I'm, what I'm saying is, I'm not trying to take rape lightly. That's not what I'm trying mm -hmm. to do here. What I was thinking is, because this show was just so unashamed of what they were showing on camera at some point, you know, that I was trying to think, what would be the dumbest, almost irresponsible thing that they could do? And that's what my mind came up with. And the fact that they actually hit so close on the mark of what I was thinking as the most fucked up thing that they could show to people who are going through mental issues, I was just blown away by... I'm like, I watched a scene and I was like, oh my god, they actually did it. Like, that's actually what they did. You know... <laughs> so I'm just throwing that out there. Like, yeah, if the microphones weren't on, I'd ask you another question. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to ask you a question with the mics on. Same. But what I do want to know... Yeah. Is would you watch a movie, let's say a, a classic, right? Yeah. We're going to go with Huckleberry Finn, written by Mark Twain originally, a great writer and an excellent thinker in his own right. American treasure. A, a great American treasure. All right. Yeah. Uh, Mark Twain. Yeah. We take Huckleberry Finn, directed by Mel Brooks. Uh, okay. How, how would that work out for you? Can you? The musical numbers would be spot on. Directed by Mel Brooks. How's it going, and we're Jim. Yeah, yeah, that's what I that's what I was thinking. Yeah. God. Yeah, so I'm just putting that disclaimer up again. I'm not trying to take rapes lightly, or you know, bodily harm. Well, or, yeah, but bodily harm like is just again crazy. TV. Yeah, it's just like you know, I'm good for you know all the sore stuff. Well, see, I should feel like I shouldn't say that. If you're going to have, like, ultraviolence or really fucked up things on camera, at least have it serve a purpose. And while you could argue this scene in 13 Reasons Why did serve a purpose, it was a really shitty one. And really, just in my opinion, and this is coming from someone who likes gratuitous violence, this was gratuitous... In the worst way. In the worst way. And it's like, there's gratuitous violence, you know, like Slasher Housewick, and then there's gratuitous, like, sexual assault... And it, that that's just not okay. Well, the, well, the, it's really weird too because um, yeah. one of my favorite actresses, um, she was in a role in a foreign film. Yeah. Um, oh God, the gal who played Persephone. Uh, it, Persephone in which movie? Uh, the, the really the second bad one. No, that she was. The first bad one, because there was two bad ones made after the first good one. Yeah. The Matrix. Oh, I'm not sure. Um, Sorry. God damn it. Monica Belushi. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Monica Belushi, she was actually in a scene of gratuitous violence of a sexual nature. And it was, like, super condemned. Yeah. People, like, fucking picketed and rioted and shit. 
Yeah. You got movies like that. You know, they're made for artistic flair. You've also got uh, yeah. uh, so-called artistic movies, which include uh, horrible acts of violence against others that have been panned in the past. Like, Salo is still universally despised by almost every movie community. Yeah. And now on, like, broadcast TV, we're just seeing stuff that would be 10, 20, even especially 30 years ago, condemned and vilified. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's. I, I think it just deals with the fact that you know, I think audiences have gotten just so jaded with what they see on TV. You know, just so desensitized. And I'm not trying to be like a puritan here. You know, it's like, oh, ban all sorts of this. Ah, oh, you filthy puritan, eh? Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm I, not, I don't mind. I'm not that, but I. I don't mind extreme yeah. or excessive violence in a movie as long as it pushes the narrative forward. Exactly, it's part of what makes. Um, shit, it's a revenge movie. God damn it. Yeah. Nero? No, no, I had it, like, Kill right in Bill? my brain, and, like, right as I go to say it, brain fart. Yeah. Um, but basically, the movie starts out, this gal is, like, hitchhiking or some dumb shit, she gets kidnapped, and the guys basically take advantage of her, like, gratuitously for, like, the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And the rest of the movie is her going on a revenge trip. She just goes all John Wick on these motherfuckers. Yeah. Each one. Kill Bill. No, it's not Kill Bill. Really? No, this makes Kill Bill look like a children's movie. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> like, this chick just totally just goes off and just butchers every person in sequence. It's a revenge film. Yeah. And she butchers everybody in the most horrible ways possible. But the whole focus of the movie, the fact that the, the uh, main protagonist was literally fucked over horribly... Yeah. And then goes back, and then eye for an eye justice, each person that was involved in this endeavor. Yeah. It's the entire narrative of the movie, so I have no problem with it, because it's a revenge movie, and the and opening... triggering the, Yeah, the triggering moment of the beginning of it, where, you know, she snaps, and she decides to go on a murdering spree. Yeah. This is the whole point of the movie. Yeah. You know, it is the entire narrative. But, you know, if it was like a movie where, like, uh, like you're saying, you know, they just decide, oh, you know, we're going to throw this scene in and put it on camera. Yeah. Because we can. Yeah, and see, the scene I'm talking about, the last thing I'll say about uh, the 13 Reasons Why scene, it did serve a narrative function, but again, like, it served a dumb narrative function. Because then they tried to do a thing where he, because of that instance, that was the last straw for him, and he was going to become a school shooter. So they were trying to tackle that next with, that's how they segued into it, it's like. I, I just can't imagine what they're thinking other than let's just be provocative for the sake of it. You know what I mean? That's just risky. Well, we are down yeah, to... Yeah, uh, it's, it's horrible. We're, we're down to final thoughts. We're at that one hour mark. I wanted to leave all of you guys on a nice happy feeling. So. That, uh, <laughs> I do have a question once we're done with final thoughts. Okay. <laughs> once recording is done, hey, I have well, a question for let you. Let me take one last second real quick. My movie, Breath of the Wild, uh, directed by Michael Bay, starring Michael Sarah as Link, and... Uh, Kristen Stewart as Zelda. Boom. Score. Kristen Stewart oh, has score. the acting um, range of a fucking wooden plank. Exactly. I'm making a fucky movie. That's why I'm casting her as uh, Princess Zelda. Fair. And the score would be done by Junkie XL, a.k.a. Tom Hulkenberg. I love his music. I think he's a great artist. But the guy who did the Mad Max soundtrack for Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, uh-uh, not a good fit. <laughs> All right, my final thoughts is, well, Christmas is only a couple days away. Woo! Happy holidays. Mm -hmm. Drive safe. Party hard. And remember, day after Christmas, if you have that day off of work, take the opportunity to sleep in. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Last chance for the year. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I think it would be interesting to see visual storytelling come back to Hollywood. Yeah. Like, like, full tilt visual storytelling. Like Orson Welles. Yeah, a little bit of Orson Welles. You know, I think that would be a neat thing. And, like, sure. I feel like Hollywood's kind of fallen by the wayside of it with, between uh -huh. moving away from effects of any given type or simply not using them. It's pretty sad when I see better stuff on YouTube nowadays being by amateurs. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, I'd love to see visual storytelling come back. And I think Darksiders would be a really interesting and fulfilling way to do that since most of it is just an action flex. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Uh, yeah. Moniker, happy holidays. Uh, sorry if I made you, folk, you uh, listeners uncomfortable with my little tangent there. I just like holding uh, Hollywood responsible for, you know, 
shit that they're going to show to people and say, no, no, this is a good and helpful thing. We responsibly. Not just we responsible, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just want to hold people to standards. That's all. But if you disagree with me, let me know. Uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. I hope you have a very joyous, lovely end of the year. And yeah, moniker out. See ya. All right, as Darth Blasphemous, I will say this: I would really, really enjoy if Hollywood would take their politics out of movies just for a little bit. You know, a year or two. Yeah, just be refreshing. Just give us some good, lighthearted stuff, even, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But other than that, y'all have a merry one, and catch ya next week. Peace. Kazarkan, back to the skies for the last time in a decade. Yeah, bitches, we're at the last stage of the decade. Holy God. When are we going to get the Blunt Force Gamers biograph- uh, biographical drama? <laughs>